Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is to cast out demons. We've been looking at a series of the reasons why Jesus came into this world. And one of the reasons was clearly to cast out demons. He did a lot of healings. It's interesting to me that the healing of the sick is usually, generally in Scripture, not always, but usually contrasted with casting out demons. Casting out demons is something different from healing the sick. In fact, when you have a list of four things, you'll have um, healing the sick, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers, and raising the dead. Uh, and those seem to be four distinct things. Mm -hmm. So tonight we're talking about casting out demons and looking at what that means and how our world sees demons today and, and what, what, um, what can we learn about our own minds and, and how we need to be in this world. So will you join me, friends, for that fun and an opening prayer? <laughs> Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the Word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us, Lord God. Please be here. Open up the pages of your Word to us. Show us your light and your warmth. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Sending out love to those of you online and getting the audio and hearing us on the phone and so on. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about who we are. Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, born 1688 and died 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. Spirit, which we take to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life, meaning that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the Word made flesh, John 1, 14, what he says of his words applies, we believe, to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how we can get from hell to heaven. So casting out demons is surely part of all that, is it not, good friends? And uh, why don't we jump in and look a little bit at this. I want to start actually in the Old Testament. Can you go to the third book? I trust you always tremble when you turn to Leviticus. <coughs> the, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus is full of rules and statutes and so forth, the laws of uh, the Old Testament. And... Uh, Look at what it says in verses 6 and 7 there. Chapter which? Chapter 17, I'm so sorry. Mm, okay. 6 and 7. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So this is about how they were to do their sacrifices. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons oh. after whom they have played the harlot. Oh, hmm. Hmm. Okay, go on. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Interesting. So we're supposed to sacrifice to the Lord and not to demons. Uh, and the suggestion is that the children of Israel in the past had gone playing the harlot towards these demons. Uh, so there's a little hint in there, perhaps, of what the demons mean and the fact that there's people were said to be sacrificing to them. 
Let's ponder what that means. Uh, turn to the right and go through numbers to Deuteronomy. We find a similar statement in Deuteronomy chapter 32 in verse 17. And uh, Moses is here sort of summarizing the history of the people. And he says in verse 17 there of Deuteronomy 32, They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the yes, and uh, it's... it's uh, I don't think it's gone entirely out of style in our world. There are probably still some Satanists who do things like this. Uh, but by and large, not, not many people literally sort of pour out libations to demons and call upon their name and, you know, what, whatever you do for that nice uh, ritual. Uh, and yet twice there in the Old Testament, it mentions the idea that the children of Israel had been doing this. So that's seems important background to what we're about to read about uh, Jesus casting out demons in the New Testament. Mm. Let's turn to the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew. Jump way ahead in the story here and go to Matthew chapter 8. And uh, there's an interesting mention here. I've cut way down the list. There, there are many, many stories about casting out demons, but we're just picking select ones tonight. Chapter 8, verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. Mm. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Now that's interesting because there you have, it does still seem to differentiate between healing those who are sick and casting out the demons. But isn't it interesting that the demon, the word demon, is kind of glossed there as spirits isn't it? It said they were demon-possessed, mm -hmm. and then he cast out spirits. And dear reader, how did he manage to do that? What, what was his method? Uh, he touched them. No. no. And he cast out oh, the spirits. Oh, with a word. With a word. With a word. Sorry, sorry. Interesting that it's a spoken thing. Like when he's healing the sick, he would touch them. We were reading about that a few weeks ago. Uh, but here... He says something, and that casts the demons out. And you see stories like this where he says something, and that drives them out. It gives us a little clue as to what this means. We'll explore this more in a little bit. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 12, would you? Let's start at verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. Oh, blind and mute. Demon possessed. I don't know if those are three things or, demon, or the demon possession caused him to be blind and mute, but go on. And he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Mm. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Yes, okay, so the ruler of the demons explains his amazing ability to, you know, obviously the ruler of demons would be able to boss the other demons around. So he must be in good with the ruler of demons, and that's how he tells the demons. He can just say a word and they go out. So how does Jesus respond to that charge? But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Oh. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Huh. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Now, I enjoy this um, uh, because rather than saying, that's not what I'm doing, he <laughs> says, well, let's explore that for a moment. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Satan is kicking Satan out. Well, you know, in any governmental structure, it's, it's a sign of trouble when you, when you have insurrection, when you have opposition within the same, you know, you're supposed to be working together. And I'm actually concerned for Satan's kingdom if that's the case, you know. I love this, this concern. Okay, go on. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? They're, therefore they shall be your judges. You see, this thing that he was doing was something that by sons, it means these uh, followers or disciples of the Pharisees, that they would do similar things. And so he says, yeah, let's ponder that for a moment. A, if Satan's kicking out Satan, Satan has a problem in his, his governmental structure. B, wait a minute, your disciples do the same thing. Hmm, I wonder how they're doing that. Hmm, that's interesting. Go on. But, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Mm. Now that's an important statement there. Twice already, we're not very far into these scriptures yet, We've seen the word spirit a couple of times, haven't we? They, they drove out the spirits, and then he's saying the way he does it is with the spirit of God. Now, he, still, he didn't say that's how he does it. He just said if, right? If Satan's divided against himself, that's a problem. But if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, or demons in the New King James, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I love this next statement. Oh. Verse uh, 29. 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Mm. He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. I love his, what would you call it? I mean, it's very down to earth kind of logic. Like, interesting, if someone is strong and you break into their house to steal things, it really would be a good idea to tie the strong person up first or else he's going to beat you up, you know, for taking his stuff. And what a great analogy that these devils, these demons are taking people. And if the Lord is kicking the demons, you know, like he's got to have power to be able to tie the strong thing up so that he can free these people from, from, you know, from the grasp of this strong evil force. That is very enjoyable. Let's look at Matthew chapter 15. We'll start at verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Severely demon-possessed. In the wonderful language of the old King James, grievously vexed with a devil. Mm. Yes, go on. But he answered her not a word. Oh, really? And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. 
But he answered and said, To her, we gather. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, who is she? She's a Canaanite. Ooh, Canaanite. Not, not good. Not the same thing as an Israelite. This is a Canaanite. A uh, long history of trouble between the Israelites and the Canaanites. Uh, the Israelites drove the Canaanites out of the land to be there. And so, he, but he's saying to this Canaanite woman, my job was to come here and to come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be helping you. You're a Canaanite, in effect. What does she, was she put off by that and offended? What did she do? Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said... And look, he does it. He kind of hits it again. What does he say? It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, this is severely insulting. You know, the children are the Israelites. The Canaanites are these little dogs. And he says, look, I shouldn't take the, the good stuff, the amazing thing. And it's amazing, isn't it, that he's comparing his miracles to food, right? The bread. It's not the right thing to do to take the children's bread Take it away from the children and feed it to the little dogs. Very insulting. And she's still not put off for some bizarre reason. What does she say? <laughs> and she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus, then Jesus uh, answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And the way I read it, why would he say your faith is so great? She just did this pun about, oh, well, even the dogs. I mean, it's amazing. He's really tried to rebuff her three times over, and she hung in there. And then he says this thing, uh, you know, about the dogs and so on. And she says, oh, yes, absolutely. Now, do you see what she's saying? I think what she's saying, in effect, is, oh, I'm not asking for a whole loaf of bread. For you... Here's a little crumb. This is not going to deprive anybody of anything. You have monstrous power. To ask you to just kick the little devil out of my little daughter, you know, that's nothing for you. That's just the little crumb. that. Oh, but you, the little dogs can still get the little crumbs that fall down. I think that's why he says, wow, you have great faith. In another account of this, I think he says, I, nobody in Israel has as much faith as you do, in effect. Uh, she has tremendous faith that she believes that this act of driving out a devil is just something he can do with his pinky while he's half asleep. You know, it's not, it's not asking for a big thing. This is a small thing. That's the way I read that and why he says that, she, that her faith is great. Mm. All right. Uh, tremendous fun. Let's go to Matthew 17, shall we? Turn a page or two there. Let's start at verse... Uh, 14 here. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. Mm. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Mm. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. Oh, so that was a demon that was causing that epilepsy, right? Mm. 
how Jesus addressed the situation was that he rebuked, and rebuke is a verbal word, is it not? Mm. It's not something you do with your fists. You, you, you say something. You know, he rebuked mm -hmm. the demon, and the demon departed out of him. Um, right. And what happened to the child? And the child was cured from that very hour. Mm. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Yeah, they had really tried to cast this evil spirit out, but he couldn't do it. And so the person had to go to Jesus himself. And, uh, and Jesus' reaction is, again, pretty strong there, isn't it? He calls, he calls his own disciples a faithless and perverse generation uh, and says that he's suffering with them and has to put up with them because they can't kick this evil spirit out. Mm. So he seems very surprised that they can't do the th same thing that he can do. And uh, then they ask him, why couldn't we do it? And what does he say? He says to Verse them, 20. Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Interesting. Prayer and fasting. And yet, maybe he prayed. He didn't have a long time to fast, did he? I mean, he came down the mountain, somebody's there, and they said, and he did it. So what does he mean fasting? He didn't have time to fast, right? There's hardly time not to fast. I mean, like he, you know, didn't have time to eat in that intervening time or not eat. Uh, so what does he mean? That this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting, and somehow they weren't doing it. Surely that has some spiritual meaning uh, of what it takes to drive these demons out. Let's hold that in our fertile minds, good friends, and turn <laughs> to the right to Mark chapter 1. Skipping a lot of stories where they're repeats of the same type of thing. Uh, but look at verse 39 in Mark chapter 1. Verse 39. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Interesting that casting out demons is in the same breath with preaching. Because mm -hmm. I'm so struck tonight by these passages that it was always verbal. He would get rid of these. It was verbal. That's how he got rid of these demons. He would lay on his hands to cure the sickness, but he would cast out the devils with a word. Very interesting to me. Look at chapter 5, and I want to read this at some length, good friends. You know the story very well. Uh, let's start at verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Oh, he had what? An unclean spirit. Yeah, okay, and this is a spirit. So this is similar. It said before that the demon-possessed came to him and he kicked out their spirits. So this is another demon-possessed person or somebody who has an unclean spirit, okay? What okay. was he like? What was his life like? He had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. Wow. So, yeah, go on. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, that's a fruitful activity. 
shouting and cutting yourself with stones, right? That'll advance your life. It's a, it's a proven method of getting ahead in the world. No, what is he doing? It's stupid, right? He's cutting himself. And what would, what, if, what if that other one, the, the poor child who was epileptic, didn't it throw him into the fire and threw him into the water? And, and uh, are these spirits, are these demons our friends? They're not our friends. They're not helping. They're hurting, right? And they're hurting this person. Now, he's a terrible person to be around for other people. Nobody could tame him. And so he's not that much fun for others to be around, but he's not that much fun to be, is he? Is it fun to be him? He's always in the mountains, in the tombs. He's not living a normal life with other people. He's crying. He's cutting himself with stones and doing crazy things, and he's terrifying to everybody. So what happens? When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. That is so curious to me. Part of what I think is going on is that we are all, we have different parts of ourselves. We have an inner self and we have an outer self. And it seems like somehow this person is demon possessed and yet there's a part of him that really wants this help. Like if you were just single-minded about it, wouldn't you run away from Jesus? Wouldn't you go in the other direction? But he runs and worships him, right? So something in him wants to worship the Lord and yet he's stuck with this stupid demon who, who keeps beating him up. And what does he say, though, when he cries out? He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. What is he talking about? And look at the next verse. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. There you go again. He's doing it verbally, and he addresses the spirit directly. He says, Come out of him, you unclean spirit. So... Jesus is not even addressing the person. He's talking directly to the spirit. It seems as though the person's heart wanted to run and see Jesus, bows down, worships him, and yet his mouth is saying all this hell stuff, isn't it? What have you to do with me, Jesus? Have you come to torment me? You know, he's, he's speaking on behalf of the evil spirit, and yet what is he doing bowing down to him and worshiping him? There's two parts of him, and, and, and the heart part is with him, and the, and the mouth part is speaking against Jesus. And how does their exchange go? Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Oh, so there are many, there are many, many spirits inside this poor person. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Huh, strange. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at Isn't one... it interesting? How, how sort of strangely powerless to say, Oh, well, if we're going to get kicked out, at least we'll try to have a vote about where we get kicked out too and see if he'll be nice and treat us nicely. That They are very clear on the fact that he has power. And what does Jesus do? Um... And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Gave them permission. You may. Look at that. He's in total charge. Is this too much for him? Is this too difficult? All right, go ahead. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. Oh, I see. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Oh. 
So those who, who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. All these people heard the rumor, and they all come out there, and what do they see? <coughs> then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. He's clothed and in his right mind. So this is someone who's been out there cutting himself, terrifying everybody, just absolutely crazy. You can tell from half a mile away, he's out of his mind. And all of a sudden they see him and they can tell immediately he is himself. He's calm. He's sitting there. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. And how do they react? They were afraid. Oh. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been de demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. Yes. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Mm. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Compassion. That's right. That's the key word of all these healings, isn't it? He had compassion. And let's read verse 20. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Yes, they marveled at what he had done. So he kicked out a whole legion of evil spirits from this person. And then the person was clothed and in his right mind. And this was said when we first were introduced to it, an unclean spirit. It was keeping him out in the tombs and out in the wilderness areas and so on, causing him to cut himself and all that. And Jesus took care of that for him out of compassion. Fantastic story. Okay, we'll file that away in our, our capacious minds and go to chapter <laughs> 9. Uh, just let's read this fun little thing from 38 here. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. Oh. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. Yes, good work, guys. <laughs> but Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Uh-huh. For he who is not against us is on our side. Yes, very interesting little story about, about casting out demons, isn't it? It, it's a very interesting story. And he says that uh, if someone does a miracle in his name, again, the suggestion of the spoken word, that they can't after that lightly speak evil of Jesus uh, because Jesus' name and speaking well of him has something to do with the opposite of what these demons mean, as we hope to see in a bit here. Uh, Oh, let's look at Mark chapter 16, very end of Mark. Let's just look at verse 9. There's lots of things here, but um, something mentioned in several Gospels. 16, 9. Yes. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Yes. Not maybe a full legion, but still a very healthy number. Mm. So it's possible to have more than one demon in you. And she was the first person to see the Lord after he was risen. Very interesting little detail there. Okay. 
Uh, let's go into Luke. We'll just skip over to Luke chapter 10. Not too many of these left to go, my patient friends. Luke 10, uh, verse 17. Uh, the Lord sent his disciples out, and then they came back in verse... These were the 70 disciples, and they came back. And what did they say when they came back? Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And what does he say? And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Lightning. Very interesting. Fall like lightning from heaven. Oh, so intriguing. All right. Luke chapter 13. Uh, verse 31 to 33. I love this little, little episode here. On that very day, some Pharisees came, saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod wants to kill you. Leave right now. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. Now, this is a lot of respect to the person who has the power and life of death over you. You know, the chief leader of the government of the whole region to call him a fox. Uh-huh. <laughs> Go tell that fox. And what is, he, what is he supposed to tell the fox? Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Oh, I love that so much. Mm. Nevertheless, I must journey today, tomorrow, and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, this is a very important passage because for one thing, for a number of reasons, but for one thing, it shows, isn't the third day obviously talking about his crucifixion? I shall be perfected. And he talks about that he has to go to Jerusalem because a prophet can't perish outside of Jerusalem. So it's obvious that that third day is not literal, but he's talking about the day of his crucifixion. A lot of people think that his crucifixion was the casting out of demons. But that's not what he said. He said, I cast out demons and I perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I'll be perfected. And there's a great piece of evidence for what Swedenborg says, which is that the redemption happened during Jesus' life. The crucifixion was the glorification of Jesus. It was not an act of, in and of itself of dealing with hell. He had already dealt with that before. He says, you know, I've finished the work that you gave me to do and so on in John 17 at the beginning there. So I cast out demons. I perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I'll be perfected. And part of what I love about it is that, Her you know, they're saying, oh, you should get out of here. Harris trying to kill you. And he's saying, you, you think there's not a plan about my death? Uh, look, let me in, let you in on a secret. Uh, this is how it's going to work. I'm casting out demons. I'll perform cures today and tomorrow, third day, go down to Jerusalem, and I shall be killed. That's how that's going to go, just in case your boss needs to know that. And um, I love his, <laughs> just he's amazing. Um, let's go to John. Turn to the right to the Gospel of John. Let's go to chapter 10. I like this. Let's start at the 19th verse and just read a few verses here. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
I just like that little exchange. That, that's, that's fun. It's very similar to the uh, Beelzebub conversation they had earlier, isn't it? Okay, turn to the right. Go through Acts and Romans. I want to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's look at, uh, there's so much in here and Paul can never bring a sentence to a reasonable conclusion, but uh, let's jump into verses 20 and 21. Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Oh, that's a throwback all the way to those first passages we read about sacrificing to demons, isn't it? And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Yes, very interesting. So what's he talking about? He's talking about communion, right? The bread and the wine of communion. And that not it interesting to line that up with the sacrifices and that sense in the Old Testament where we started out tonight of sacrificing to demons and in the New Testament, it's that that communion, you can be at the Lord's table or at a demon's table, uh, setting that juxtaposition and comparing it to the sacrifices. The communion or the uh, Holy Supper is like the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Okay, uh, let's turn to the right and go to 1 Timothy. So you go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, and you get to, uh, through the Thessalonians, get to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1 there. Now the Spirit... The what? Spirit. Oh, the Spirit. Oh, we're hearing about the Spirit again. Okay, the Spirit, go on. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Speaking demons have doctrines? <laughs> demons have doctrines? Really? Wow. Say that again. What was giving, that verse? Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Yeah, so the Spirit says expressly that in later times some will depart from the faith and pay attention to these seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Demons have... Did you know they had doctrines? I didn't know they had doctrines. Demons have... I guess they have a... Like a doctrinal system or they have thoughts and ideas. Okay, very interesting. Uh, doctrines, all right. And uh, let's go all the way back to Revelation. Start with Moses, end with Revelation, then you have a good evening. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 9. Verse 20, hmm. we're just jumping right in here into the amazingness that is the book of Revelation. <laughs> but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. My favorite word, repent, okay, they, but they didn't do it. No. Okay. That they should not worship demons oh. and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Go on. And they did not repent of their mortar, murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Okay, interesting that worshiping demons is right there in a list of other things that they didn't repent from. Interesting, what does that mean? What does that mean to repent from demons? And look at Revelation chapter 18, 
uh, verse 2. This is about Babylon being overthrown. And what does it say here, this grand phrasing? And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Okay, Babylon has become this um, habitation of demons. Interesting, foul spirits, and every unclean and hateful bird. Okay, all right, good friends. Um, okay, all right then. Now, uh, you may or may not be aware, you may be way too aware, or you may not have ever heard this idea, but uh, in Swedenborg's theology, the world, and it makes perfect sense to me, the world is divided up into two grand arenas. Let me uh, demonstrate this on the board, if I may. Uh, let's draw a line down the middle here, and uh, on the... You can have various different sorts of words, but let's have love written in the red on the left, and we'll have truth written on the right, and the opposite of love, the dark side of that would be, let's call it evil, and the opposite of truth would be falsity, uh, lies, you know, things like that. Um, Having been exposed somewhat to Swedenborg's idea of uh, correspondences over the last number of years, uh, I am very intrigued to see that the following words are, to borrow something from Stephen Colbert, truthy words. Uh, in other words, they're on the blue side, not the red. They're not about the heart. They're about this side. Here are words that we heard tonight. We heard clothed. Clothing has to do with truth. That's on the outside. It's like the body is a picture of your heart, and then the clothing is a picture of your thoughts, the things that you think, the truths that you have in your mind. Clothing always, when the, when the Lord says about patching a new garment, you know, put, putting a patch on an old garment or a new garment, you know, that's all about truth that he's talking about there. Uh, when it says right mind, it didn't say right heart. He was in his right mind. Isn't that what it said? Didn't say heart, said mind. So I put it on the blue side over there. Didn't we hear about birds? Birds are all on this side because animals are on the side of the heart. Uh, we heard about doctrine. Can't get clearer than that. Doctrine's over here on the, on the blue side. Uh, preaching we heard about. We heard that they were addressed through words or rebuke, which is all on this side, the blue side. All has to do with truth. Uh, didn't he say, I saw Satan? Satan is over here, and, and uh, uh, the devil, Diabolos, is on, is on the other side, on the red side. Satan has to do with uh, falsity. And didn't he say, I saw Satan fall like lightning, not like thunder, like lightning. How am I doing? That's pretty <laughs> cool, isn't it? All those things have to do with truth. All those things have to do with truth. It's very, very interesting that so many of these passages that we just read are all in this context of truth, and the way the Lord deals with them is with language. With a word, He cast out the spirits. He rebuked them. He talks to them. They talk back. 
you know, uh, all of this has to do with the side of truth or falsity, not the side of love and evil. So part of what I'm thinking tonight is that when Jesus lays his hands on the sick, the diseased and so on, that's a picture of healing the heart. And he does it with his hand. It's hands on. It's not about language. It's about laying on the hands. That's how he shows his compassion on that side. How he casts out demons is with language. And it says to have, it has to do with the spirit, which is another kind of truthy word, if you will. I, I can't establish all that for you. You'll have to just take my word for it. Uh, but it, it amazes me that all these things have to do with that side. So what the demons have to do with, I'm so intrigued that the Bible actually tipped its hand and said the word doctrines. I couldn't believe that. Did you see that? It said it right there, didn't it? The doctrines of demons. You see, what demons are is their false thoughts. They, it has to do with your thoughts and your beliefs. Uh, that's predominantly what this has to do with. There's always an interesting relationship between lies in your head and evil desires in your heart. You know, it, it's almost impossible to totally separate those two. But casting out demons has to do with casting out false thoughts. That's what the Lord was doing when he was doing this. And do you remember, are you familiar with this concept, good friends, that the Lord, Jesus, the Lord is the Word. I alluded to it in my statement at the beginning of tonight, that, that Jesus is the Word made flesh. He says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, Jesus was the Word made flesh. So whenever you see Jesus doing things and saying things in the New Testament, it's always a safe assumption to think that that is a picture of what the Word is doing, what the Word is able to do for us. The Word is able to drive false, what they call stinking thinking. Isn't that what they call it? Mm -hmm. It can drive false thoughts out of your mind. It can cast out your demons. Now, why would they be called demons? Why, why wouldn't you call it something else? Why not just say doctrines or something like that? Why, why talk about demons? Well, I think part of what's going on here, I'm just making this up as I do every night in Bible study, good friends, but, the, um, but I think the reason that is, is that the Lord wants to point out to us that our thoughts, think about that person who was insane, who was in the tombs, cutting himself with a stone. He had an idea. Oh, I have an idea. I'll hack myself up with a stone. Is that a good idea? Is that a helpful impulse? I think I'll slash myself. I think I'll go terrify those children who are coming out of the village. Or I think I'll just be untamable and completely wild and out of control. Uh, what the Lord is trying to say is that there's a malevolence in these thoughts. Let me disquisit. Is that a verb, dear reader? Disquisit? I don't know. Uh, okay, <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I don't have a dictionary here, uh, but I'll do it anyway. Uh, I want to disquisit on the subject of demons that it's, our, our culture has an interesting relationship, does it not, with the idea of demons and evil spirits. Uh, in some ways, 
we have this very rationalistic method of medicine and psychiatry and so forth that has long ago dismissed out of hand largely any idea that there would be spirits involved in a mental illness or would have anything to do with a physical illness or anything, you know, ha, 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 you know, couldn't possibly be. Yes, I know you're hearing voices. I know they criticize you constantly and they even tell you to cut yourself sometimes, but I can give you medication for that. That has nothing to do with spirits. You know, that's just voices in your head that happen to be trying to destroy you. Isn't that curious? Uh, so in some parts of our culture, we've kind of tried to get over the idea that there are any spirits that influence us. And yet, doesn't it seem like when you take out that idea of spirits, then you can't really cure the condition. All you can do is sort of mollify it. Is that the word or something? Try to sort of tamp down the characteristic a little bit because you can't really deal with it because you've denied the thing that it is, in my humble opinion. Uh, you know, by not seeing that there's something to do with spirits and, and mental and emotional illness and so on, uh, you've, you've hamstrung your ability to really deal with it. You can sort of deal with the body on the outside, but you can't really get to the thing itself uh, because the thing itself has a nature that you're not admitting, which is that there are malevolent spirits. The Lord has total control over them, but there are such things as, as malevolent spirits, in my view, and that's certainly what Swedenborg found when his Spiritual eyes were open and they could see into the spiritual world. There are malevolent spirits. And uh, so I think the reason these are expressed as demons is that our own thoughts are where those things can have an impact on us. Is it possible, friends, have you ever caught yourself thinking something and thinking it a lot maybe that didn't help you move forward, didn't empower you. A thought like, I am so crushingly stupid, I don't know why I get out of bed in the morning. Or a thought like, uh, you know, mom and dad were right, I'll never amount to anything. Um, or, you know, it may be all kinds of things, like people don't like me, or whatever it might be. These sorts of thoughts... We can think these thoughts and they seem true to us and they can stay with us. Can they not, friends? Sometimes those kind of thoughts can stay with you. Year after year after year after year, decade after decade, you got these thoughts that make you do strange things like not go to parties or greet people or you know, stay at home and cut yourself with stones and things like that. Um, because the thoughts are actually having a malevolent effect on you. I love what a friend of mine says about these head bullies. Uh, that's his term for these thoughts in your mind that criticize you. Like, what do you gain if that was you? I know it's in your own voice. But if that was you, like, what do you gain from just like <laughs> beating the stuffing out of yourself? You know, like, how, how does that help you? Uh, it's very bizarre. And yet we kind of refuse as a culture to think that that could possibly be coming from any malevolent force outside of ourselves. Oh, no, of course not. Of course not. That's just me. I just choose to think that, just the same as I choose to cut myself with stones and things like that. You know, that, that's just that's the way I am. There's another one. That's another stupid thought. Oh, that's just the way I am. Can't help it. Um, so, is it possible? Now, 
uh, the other half of that that I want to say is that isn't it fascinating that at the same time as we have all this rationality and this sense that of course it's not demons, aren't we absolutely fascinated as a culture with vampires and with ghosts or you know can't, can't, aren't there whole channels that are devoted on the TV to nothing but these stories about the undead and the, or, or whatever you know like we just love it zombie movies what you know it's kind of fascinating that we've kicked it out of a certain part of our our world and we absolutely celebrate it in another you know it, it's fascinating that those two things just coexist in our culture uh, I'm, I'm very interested in that so what can be done about this well isn't it the case that the picture of the Lord casting out the demons by saying a word I really like the idea that that is the effect that the word can have on our minds, on our thinking. You read this book enough, like if you're thinking, I've spent lots of my time thinking this, friends, I'm in the effort lately not to think it, but thinking that I'm a, a, a waste of food. Uh, you know, I'm often plagued by that thought that you could have done something useful with that food instead of feeding me and keeping me alive. It's kind of a negative thought. Um, a waste of Kleenex, uh, so on. Um, <laughs> uh, well, Scripture says, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Scripture says that he formed you in the womb. Before it formed you in the womb, I knew you. Well, that's different, isn't it? Than you're a waste of space or you're a giant cosmic genetic mistake. You shouldn't have happened, you know. Isn't that a different feeling that the Lord creates everyone and loves everyone? The Word is capable of giving us these, these types of thoughts. And they're capable of driving out. It may not happen as lightning fast as it did in the New Testament there. And I use the word lightning, you know, advisedly. But it can still work on us. Our exposure to the Word can drive out these thoughts. And the thoughts I'm thinking of are two kinds. One is kind of those thoughts about yourself, your relationships, how you fit in with people. I've probably said this before in Bible study. I can't remember good friends, but I think about this so much. Do you know there's that story? There's some old, I don't even remember who it is. It might be Tom Thumb or somebody, but there's some story about these giants who are gathered around by the fire. And uh, they're a big threat. And what Tom Thumb or whoever it is does is he gets a stone and he throws at it at the one giant from the direction of the other giant. Boom. And the giant goes, hey, what was that? You know? And then he runs around to where the other giant is and he throws a stone at the first giant. Boom. Hey, what was that? And pretty soon he manages to get them fighting with each other when the fight was never their idea. Well, have any of you been in a relationship, friends? <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever felt like hell was throwing a stone at you seemingly through the mouth of your partner or whoever it is that you love, your children or your parents or whatever it is, um, and then they get you to you know, just say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and then, uh, and then they can start a nice little fight. Whew, you know, it's just fun to get, get us fighting in this way. But I don't think it... It's not me and it's not the other person. You know, you, you've been fooled into this. 
some bad thoughts in your head have started this uh, altercation uh, when actually these are two people who love each other. You know, and if you could see to the truth, you'd see, wait, what's going on? We're, we're being had here. This is an unclean spirit. This is some demon who's getting us to fight with each other. And, and we're falling prey to it. The Lord, in the form of the word, in the form of divine truth, has the power to drive these guys out. He's got the truth. So it's all about the truth and the thinking of driving those things out. That's what the miracles of the uh, casting out demons have to do with. Um, I don't... Oh, one more thing. This is kind of fun. Um, this idea, this idea that there are no demons, there's also a concomitant idea in our culture, is there not, that there is no hell? A lot more people believe in heaven than believe in hell. People think there is no hell. People think there are no demons. People think they don't affect our minds. That's not why you're thinking what you're thinking. It's not why you're hearing voices or, or whatever. Isn't it amazing to think that that idea that there are no demons is a demon? It's a demon that needs to be kicked out of our society. It's fascinating because demons are exactly those kind of thoughts. They're false thoughts from hell that want to keep us in slavery, want to keep us in hell, want to keep us bound down, keep us cutting ourselves and being awful for other people to be around, screaming and crying and all that kind of stuff. The Lord is able. I don't know if you've ever seen it, good friends. I've occasionally had you know, the, the wonderful circumstance in my life of being able to see people who were very bound up in these dark thoughts, dark behaviors, and so on. And bit by bit, with the thoughts, with truth coming in, one after another. No, boom, boom, boom. Think this. No, don't think that. Think this. No, don't think that. Stop thinking that. Try thinking this. Say this. Repeat this scripture to yourself. Or have this thought. And say it. And listen to other people saying it, and so on. Have you ever witnessed that you can actually see somebody who's gone through that clothed and in their right mind? Have you ever seen that? You can actually see people who their faces look better, their whole demeanor, they're at peace because the demon's been driven out of them. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to behold. Uh, that's what the Lord wants to promise us in his word. It's only one of many miracles that he wants to do for us. So in some good friends, Jesus' casting out of demons is a picture of how the word drives false ideas out of our minds and lets us be clothed with truth and in our right mind, a right understanding. Uh, one more thing I want to say about that uh, is that it's not only thoughts about yourself, but it's also teachings, obviously, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like your view of God. People have some bizarre thoughts about God, you know, that he doesn't exist or that he's a nasty meanie or that he cares about other people but not about me or that, you know, whatever, or that worldly wealth is a sign of whether he's blessing you or not. All these, you know, these are more demons. It's not only stuff about yourself. I emphasize the psychological side because I think that can hit us all. But it's also religious, theological beliefs, so on, just, just beliefs about the world and so on. It's not just only about yourself. All of those things are things that the Word is able to cast out so when you picture the Lord with that child who's been thrown in the fire so many times, 
or with the, with the crazy man up in the tombs and everything, uh, that the Lord is trying to communicate to us those thoughts, the, the dark, bad, false thoughts that you have in your mind and the false beliefs that you have, even the belief in justification by faith alone, so on, or the, or the scripture only has a literal meaning. And stuff. Those are demons. The Lord intends to drive those demons out through the power of his word. Thank you, friends. Shall we close with a prayer? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world as divine truth, the word made flesh. Thank you for your miracles, just speaking a word and driving those demons out. It's a picture of how your word can heal our minds. And we pray, Lord God, for that healing for ourselves. And just as you taught your disciples to drive demons out of others, please help us to cast out each other's demons through your truth. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so the Lord can cast that demon out.